welcome, listeners. You're Tailtelly here straight from a postbox in the 1940s. I sent you all some tapes, see? It'll read Haunting House Vault. Don't bust your chops trying to put these bad boys into some cheesy player. Put it in your cassette player to see what's what. Your first tape, side A, a tale of conspiracy and murder. Of who's who getting the bum rap. Side B of that tape is 11 to date. A complex conspiracy of misdirection, insinuation, mimicry, and moxie. Sure to have you on the beam. Now, I got a newspaper here. Latest news. Three killer dillers that support this show here. Moxie Matthew J. Bauer, Joe Bomber Meyer, and Watts Bosn Cousin divided by zero. You Damon Joes really make this show what it is, you hear? Now for some more on-the-beam geezers and dames. Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Cresanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffaelli, and Michelangelo Yacone. Tell you what, this 1940s phone's going to be the death of me. Spin the dial. Bring your lettuce. And also, don't flip your wig at today's stories. Homicide House. Our story begins late at night in one of the rooms of an exclusive Florida hotel. Hello. Hello. Mr. Hubertus Van Cleek? Yes, yes. This is Special Investigator Collins of the Miami Police. Indeed. Well, what the devil is the idea of waking a man in the middle of the night? I'm sorry, Mr. Van Cleek. We have reason to believe that your life is in danger. My life in danger? Nonsense. Who would want to do away with me? I don't know, sir, but this is a warning. Be sure your door is locked and your windows, too. You've been followed by... I know that. I've been followed by a pack of idiots who want to sell me everything from insurance to yachts. I'm used to that. And I know how to deal with these parasites. Now, good night, Mr. Collins. Good night, Mr. Van Cleek. Good night, sir. A fool. Bringing me up at this time of night. Tell me this my... Who's there? Who's at the window? <gasps> Hanson, managing editor. Oh, it's you, Senator. No, sir, the New York Clarion will not retract that statement. This is an independent newspaper. What? You'll take us to court. Go ahead. We've got all the facts on that waterways project that we can prove them by affidavit. Sorry, Senator, I haven't time to argue with you. I'm a busy man. Hi, Chief. What's going? Sit down, you two. I've got an assignment I want you to handle together. Say, Chief, if it's about that phony waterways deal, why, that's just my deal. No, Bill, it isn't the waterways project. Oh. You remember the Hubertus Van Cleek murder case down in Florida a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, he was shot in some hotel room. By a murderer. Murder is unknown. That's right. Well, as you know, old Hubertus was the last of his line. One of the oldest and wealthiest society families in New York. Yeah, the Van Cleeks had plenty in the sock, all right. And there wasn't even a will. Yes. Now, here's the angle. Every Van Cleek, from Hubertus right back to old Theodore, the original settler, has died by violence. For some reason, not one ever died a natural death. Remember Claudius Van Cleek? 
Yeah, I've heard about him. He's a little before my time. A Wall Street speculator, wasn't he? Yes. Well, he ruined thousands of people in the market. And one of them finally stuck a knife into it. Ah. That left two sons and one daughter. Hubertus, Hector, and Abigail. Well, we know what happened to Hubertus. But what about Hector and Abigail? Well, back in 1898, they took a boat called the Portland for Europe to escape the disgrace of what their father had done. But the Portland went down in the storm off Cape Cod, and so did Hector and Abigail. Yeah, well, all that's very interesting, Chief, but it's all stuff. What's the story? Now, wait a minute. I'm coming to that. I just got a tip that a syndicate in town is going to tear down the old Van Cleek mansion overlooking the East River and build a new skyscraper on the property. Well, that's just as well. That old mausoleum's an eyesore. It's been boarded up for years. I still don't see I what... want the whole Van Cleek story from soup to finger bowls for our Sunday supplement. Hit this mysterious tradition of sudden death in the Van Cleek family hard. Give me plenty of color and the flavor of the past. Go down with Maureen here and take a good look at the old Van Cleek mansion so that you can write about it intelligently. And we'll want pictures. Well, this doesn't sound very exciting. Look, Chief, if you give us that water... Your assignment, Mr. Foster, is the Van Cleek story. Now get out, and don't slam the door. I knew I should have been a radio commentator. Come on, Maureen. Okay, driver, here you are. This is a Van Cleek house, Bill. Yeah, just a nice, big, gloomy sandstone tomb. I wonder if those boards on the windows are just to keep the light out or the ghosts in. I guess this is the kind of place they call a Victorian monstrosity, huh? Terribly big. Yeah, I'll bet that syndicate Hanson was talking about will have to pay plenty for this property. Well, they can have it, Bill. No wonder Hubertus Van Cleek closed and boarded it up back in the 90s. I don't see how anyone could live in there. Hey, it's beginning to snow, honey. Come on, let's walk up this driveway. We're not going in, are we? No, there's no way to get in. We'll just take a couple of pictures front and back and then scram. I've got the flashbulb set now. What was that? Sounded like a shot. Yeah, and it came from inside the house. Inside? But, Bill, no one's been inside that house for almost 50 years. There's someone in there now. Then it must be a ghost. If it is, he's up to no good. Come on, Maureen. We're going to get in and have a look around. Bill, where are we? Well, in the cellar, obviously. More than that, in the wine cellar. You smell the champagne? Yes. It's funny how the odor of wine would still be here after 50 years. Mm. Bill, is it safe to use your flashlight in here? In view of that shot we heard, no. Got to see where we're going. Nice place for murder, huh? Mm. Look at all those spider webs. Why, the place is practically covered with them. Never mind the spider webs. Look at those bottles on the shelves. Champagne imported 1876, 1879, 18... Why, the place is loaded with vintages. Yes. But why should we be able to smell the wine? I don't know. We'd better try to find a way upstairs. That's... Bill. Yeah. Footsteps. Someone's upstairs. No doubt about it. Bill, maybe we'd better get out and call the police. What? And ruin a good story? Here, Maureen. You carry my camera. I want my hands free, just in case. All right. Where where are we going now? There's only one place to go. Upstairs. Ah, this must be the door leading to the first floor. Uh-huh. It's open, too. Come on. That door makes enough noise to wake the dead. I'm not worried about the dead. 
It's that lifeboat somewhere in this big Victorian barn that I'm worried about. What kind of a place is this? It's tremendous. It looks like the grand ballroom. Shades in the gay 90s. So this is where the 400 played in the mall decade. Yeah, gaslight fixtures and all. Oh, those awful statues and statuettes. Oh, they're horrible. Yeah, they had to open this place up as a museum. Hey, here's a neat little piece. I can carry it in one hand, too. Why? We're chasing a ghost here, remember? And he's got a gun. We haven't. This little stone figure might come in handy. See what I mean? He's up there now. On the second floor. Yeah. And sooner or later, we'll catch up to him. This seems to be the main second floor corridor. Mm-hmm. Bill. Hmm? Do you notice something? What? Seems clean here. Though so someone lived here on the second floor. Yeah, you're right. It's warmer, too. There's no musty smell. And no spider webs. I wonder what that means. Bill. Well, seems that our friend the ghost not only likes to shoot off guns, but he likes to tickle the ivories, too. Hmm? Maybe he heard us. Come on, Maureen. This is it. You stay behind me. I'll go first, just in case. All right, Bill. But be careful. Yeah, come on. This is the room. I think I could even make out the piano. Yeah, but there doesn't seem to be anyone here. <laughs> huh? Bill! I shouldn't move if I were you. You see, it might be quite unhealthy. Bill, there's a man lighting a candle. Yeah. Look, why he's got mutton chop whiskers and he's dressed in old-fashioned formal clothes. Who are you? My name is Hodgkins. I'm the Van Cleek butler. The Van Cleek butler? Well, that can't be. All the Van Cleeks are dead. I must differ with you, madam. I was just entertaining the Van Cleeks with a piano selection when you interrupted. Maureen, he's nuts. Who are you and why are you prowling about the premises? Oh, we're from the New York Clarion. Yes, it's the truth. See the name of our papers printed on the side of his camera. Well, we heard a shot. I'm sorry, sir, but you heard no shot. Now there, wasn't that a shot? Only a door slamming shot. This is a large establishment with considerable air currents and drafts. That is no doubt what you heard when you forced entry. Oh, yes, Bill. It must have been a door slamming. And now I must ask you to leave the premises at once. We have callers, eh? Undesirable callers, Mr. Van Cleek. Bill, look how they're dressed. The styles of 50 years ago. We haven't had callers in the longest time. Oh, nice. Now, Abigail. Oh, come, come, Hector. Ask our guests. To sit down, uh, Hodgkins, set the table for four. Four, but madam... Four uh, place settings, Hodgkins, please. Yes, madam. Uh, are you... Do I understand that you're Abigail Van Cleef? Oh, yes. And this is my brother, Hector. But... But you're supposed to be dead. You drowned back in 1898 when a ship went down. There must be some mistake. As you see, we're very much alive. We haven't had the pleasure, however... Oh, I'm Bill... Uh, Mr. William Foster. Oh. This is Miss Maureen Davis. We're Maureen both from the New York Daily Clarion. The Clarion? Uh-huh. Oh, I've never heard of it. Uh, of course, we read only the Tribune. Is it a new paper? New? Uh, I wouldn't exactly say so, Miss Van Cleek. It was started back in 1903. Not... Well, strange. Very strange. Uh, this is 1898, isn't it, Hector? Why, of course, my dear. 
I'm afraid these lovely people are a little confused. Everyone knows it's 1898. Oh, sure, sure, of course. <laughs> well, we better be going. Go, oh, no. I've already given Hodgkin his instructions. You're staying for dinner. Oh, why, we... Mom, say we couldn't. Oh, please, we're so lonely. We haven't had any guests in the longest time. Well, I... We'd be delighted to have you. Say you'll stay. Of course. Thank you very much. We'll be glad to. Yeah, thanks very much. Oh, good. Oh, you people are so kind. I must talk to Hodgkins about the dinner at once. No, I'll go with you, my dear. You'll pardon me, won't you? Oh, sure, it's fine. Bill, I just can't believe it. Neither can I. What do you mean? I'm still not sure that loud report we heard was a door slamming. It still sounded like a shot to me. Foster and Maureen Davis, New York reporters, have entered the old Van Creek mansion, closed and boarded up for 50 years. As far as they know, all the Van Creeks are dead, the last of the line, Hubertus, having been killed in Florida. But now they meet two apparitions apparently out of the past and living in the old Victorian house. These are Hector and Abigail Van Creek, who believe they are living in the year 1898. And look at it. Hector wears mutton-chop whiskers, high-button shoes, and Chesterfield coat. Abigail is dressed in crinoline and old lace. Both might have stepped out of tintypes cast in the gaslight era. Abigail Van Creek has gone with Hector to make arrangements for dinner. Now Hector returns to Bill and Maureen. You're probably wondering about my sister and me, Mr. Foster. <laughs> wondering isn't the word for it. We were sure all the Van Cleeks were dead. As far as the world has known, they are. But now I'm afraid we can't keep our secret any longer. You see, we were on the Portland when it went down back in 98. But we didn't drown as everyone thought. Abigail and I were on a raft and we made the shore. Well, then why... Do you wonder why we didn't reveal our identity? Well, our father, Claudius, disgraced us in the stock market, Miss Davis. We were, well, ashamed. We wanted to hide from the world. And so I conceived the idea of coming back here to the old house after Hubertus had closed it, living our lives out away from the accusing eyes of the world. I see... And you've lived here for 50 years, hmm? Yes. Abigail, I, and Hodgkins. Hodgkins, our family's faithful retainer, had volunteered to stay with us till the end. It's he who buys the food and other necessities, going out only at night. It was he who brought us the news of our brother, Hubertus' untimely death. You mean you and your sister haven't even left this house for 50 years? That's correct, Miss Davis. We hope that here we shall die a peaceful and natural death. Contrary to the tradition of our family... Oh, oh uh, there's something further I must explain. Uh, yes, Mr. Van Cleef. My sister, Abigail, she... Uh, 
Well, when the ship went down, she lost her mind. What? Uh, that is, it stopped in terms of time. She actually thinks she's still living in the 90s. I see. But you, you know all about the present. Oh, yes, of course. But you see, I've always been very devoted to Abigail. That's why I've lived with her all these years. Humored her. That's why I wear these ancient clothes. Fashionable in the 90s, but strange to the present eyes. <laughs> strange isn't the word for it. We thought we'd seen a couple of ghosts. Of course. I understand. I ask only one thing. Yes, Mr. Van Cleef. Uh, please humor my sister along. Live with her in the past. Even though you know it's ridiculous, I, I'd appreciate it deeply. Of course, Mr. Van Cleef. Yes, you can depend on us. Thank you. Thank you very much. There you are. I'm so sorry I was delayed. The curry, you know, is such an exacting entree. And, of course, the champagne. Hodgkins and I always differ on the champagne. Uh, have you been to the opera lately, Miss Davis? Why, no. Oh, what a pity. There's a young tenor named Arrigo Caruso. Just a young man, a mere boy. But he sings so divinely. I haven't been so thrilled since I heard Jenny Lynn sing. Of course, that must be, oh, 15 years ago. Well, I do go to the theater occasionally. Oh, theater. Theater, I do love it. Oh, those lovely young creatures, Lily Langtree and Lillian Russell and Edwin Booth. Oh, poor fellow. Died five years ago. Oh, what a tragedy. What an actor. Dinner is served. Oh, thank you, Hodgkins. More wine, Miss Davis? Oh, no, thank you, Mr. Van Cleek. Uh, Mr. Foster? Oh, thanks, I couldn't touch another drop. You may remove the wine, Hodgkins. Yes, madam. It's been a wonderful dinner, Miss Van Cleek. I haven't had food like that since the war. Oh, yes, the war. Isn't it terrible? Still, we're fortunate in having men like Roosevelt and Dewey to lead us against the Spaniards. Roosevelt? And Dewey? Against the Spaniards? Uh, yes, yes, Abigail's right. Admiral Dewey's victory in Manila Bay. And, of course, Teddy Roosevelt's gallant charge at San Juan Hill. Oh, yeah. Oh, will there be anything else, madam? No, Hodgkins, I don't think so. Oh, yes. You might tell me what the weather is like outside. It's snowing very hard, madam. Oh, then I'm afraid it will be very difficult for Miss Davis and Mr. Foster to get a handsome cab now. Yes, madam, it will. Well, I'd suggest that they stay overnight here at our guest sector. Don't you think that's a splendid idea? I certainly do, Abigail. Oh, Miss Van Cleek, we couldn't. Oh, we don't want to put you out. Oh, no, we'd be delighted to have you. Yes, we insist. Well, I'm sorry, but we... Please, it would make Miss Van Cleek and myself very happy. Well... Thank you, Mr. and Miss Van Cleek. We'll stay. Oh, that's wonderful. Hodgkins. Hodgkins. Yes, madam. Prepare two rooms for our guests. Yes, madam. At once. It's incredible, Bill. Those two charming people living the life of 50 years ago in this dismal house. Yeah. 
When we get back to the chief with this story, you'll never believe it. I'm not sure that I do. What do you mean? It all may not be as Victorian as it looks. Bill, I don't understand. You mean there's something fishy about all this? Well, it could be. But we've been with them all the time. We've seen everything with our own eyes. Yeah, and a little extra. Bill Foster, what are you driving at? Did you notice the butler's wrist when he served us our soup? Hodgkins? No. What about it? Well, his wrist was tanned. I can tell because the white skin showed where he had worn a wristwatch. Well, what are you talking about? Suppose he did have a coat of tan. Look, from what we heard, this big butler Hodgkins hasn't been anywhere but in this gloomy mausoleum or else out at night to do the shopping. Is that right? That's right. Yet he has a coat of tan in the middle of winter and with no exposure to the sun. Yeah. Well, that does seem funny. Well, don't you get it? Where's the only place Hodgkins might get a tan in the middle of winter? Why, in the south? Florida, maybe. Bill, Florida. Why, that's yes, where... Yes, that's where Hubertus Van Creek was murdered. Then you think Hodgkins might have had something to do with it? I don't know. Personally, I don't like him. There's something about his eyes. You know what we ought to do? What? Get out of here in a hurry. This thing is beginning to come together like a jigsaw puzzle, and it isn't nice. Here, I'll carry the camera. Bill, There's what is... no time to talk now. We've got to leave fast if we're going to leave at all. Come on, Maureen. Let's try the back way. Last time I saw our pal Hodgkins, he was prowling around in the front of the house. This seems to be the servants' quarters. Yeah. I'll try this door. Maybe it'll lead down into the cellar, and then we can make our getaway the same way we came in. Nope. It's no good. It's locked tight. Here's another door. I'll try it. <laughs> Bill, Bill. Yeah, the buddy. We're standing up in that closet, and when you opened the door, it fell out. Oh, Bill. Keep your chin up, baby. Don't lose your grip. You want to take a look? Uh-huh. Bullet hole right through the heart. Then that must have been the shot we heard. There's no doubt about it. That door slam alibi was a phone... Wait a minute. The devil's got identification papers. Well, I'll be... What is it, Bill? This guy's name was Collins. He was a special police investigator for the Miami police. Then he must have followed Hodgkins up here on the Hubertus Van Cleek murder. Precisely, Miss Davis. And, of course, I had to do away with him. Hodgkins! Yes. Now, don't move, Mr. Foster. This gun works very well, I assure you. So it was you who murdered Hubertus Van Cleek. You're a very clever young man, Mr. Foster. Did you nail him, Hodgkins? Got him cold, Nixon. I guess it's all settled about what we'll do with him. It's all settled, Margie. Nixon? Margie. Yeah, in other words, Hector and Abigail. <laughs> Pretty clever impersonations, too. Thank you, Mr. Foster. Looks like we'll have to give these two nosy newspaper characters the same business we gave that cop, Collins. Yeah, Nixon, looks like. Bill. I'm afraid they've got us, Maureen. I've got to hand it to you, crooks. The neatest inheritance racket I've ever heard about. Inheritance racket? Yeah, this little trio knocked off Hubertus, last of the Van Cleeks. That means that there weren't any existing relatives to claim the Van Cleef fortune until very recently. That is until Nixon and Margie here brought Hector and Abigail out of a watery grave. That's right. <laughs> Pretty clever, aren't you, Mr. Foster? Yeah, too smart for his own good, eh, Hutchkins? That's right, Nixon. But, Bill, how could they prove that they were Hector and Abigail Van Cleef? Well, they fooled us, didn't they, baby? It was a beautiful act and a very nice little story. Besides, there was always Hodgkins here to add the final cruncher. Oh, you know that too, Mr. Foster. Yeah, I took the trouble to read a few old clippings down at the Clarion Morgue. You really were the Van Cleek butler. As the faithful family retainer, you could positively identify these two phonies here as Hector and Abigail Van Cleek. Then ring yourself in on a nice three-way split on the dough. No use wasting any more time, Hodgkins. Let him have it. Yeah, we'll have our work cut out to bury them in the cellar. Bill. Ready, baby. 
I've shot plenty of people with this camera of mine, but this is the first time I've ever been on the receiving end of a... Put that camera down. Quick, let him have it. Isn't this fun? Hodgkin, you fool. <laughs> you really couldn't help it, Abigail. Or rather, Margie. That flashbulb in my camera just went off and blinded him. Bill, you're wonderful. Thanks, baby. Now, if you'll hurry out to the police, I'll keep these characters entertained. Uh, uh, don't forget to phone the chief an exclusive on this first. I won't. Are you sure you'll be all right, Bill? Oh, I'll be all right. But if any of these lovely people try anything, they'll die a real Van Cleek death by violence. Premeditated. Shadows and stillness, mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubt and fear. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory. In Side B. No, stay where you are. Do not break the stillness of this moment. For this is a time of mystery. A time when imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is the haunting hour. Date in the dark. Midnight. Midnight in the metropolis. Town of a thousand moods and contrasts. Of wealth and lightness and laughter. Of poverty, heartbreak and tears. Of shadowy people and dark, dark things. Big city. Hard-boiled and tender. Weak and mean and cheap without dignity. And great and proud and powerful. And the metropolis at midnight, filled with the high spirits of joy seekers, revelers who give way to the goodness of living, or try to forget the badness of living. Midnight that is brooding, sinister. The sounds of the big city at midnight. The squeaks and roars of taxicabs, the rumble of trucks, the moan of river boats, and underground, the subway, and under and above, the sounds of the people, shrill, ribald, futile. But there is quiet, too, in the teeming city at midnight, the quiet that is broken by the wail of a child the rattle of a snore, or 
as in the home of Earl Breton, a private detective, and his partner, Owen Bailey, called the professor. The telephone rings. And the professor answers it. Hello? Earl Breton? No, this is Mr. Bailey, Breton's partner. Who's calling? This is Bill Henderson. Is Earl here? Uh, just a moment. It's Bill Henderson, Earl. You want to talk to him? Bill Henderson? What does that crooked politician want? Sounds very anxious. Oh, that's too bad. Tell him I'm very busy. I gotta go to sleep. Hello, Mr. Henderson. Yeah? I'm sorry, but Mr. Britton is not in... If Earl doesn't talk to me, he may be responsible for my death. I can't possibly see how that... Let me have the phone, Professor. Hello, Anderson. Is you Earl? Yeah, what's on your mind? I gotta see you right away, Earl. Can you meet me down at your office? Office hours. If from 10 to 2, Henderson, you know that. I'll see you tomorrow. No, wait, Earl, wait. I tell you, you gotta see me tonight. Now, look, I can't wait until tomorrow. Because I may never get there tomorrow. How do you figure? I can't explain it on the phone. But I know what I'm talking about. I gotta see you tonight. Got it. Uh, where are you now? Okay, give me a few minutes to get a cup of something warm. I'll meet you down to the office. Oh, thanks a million, Earl. Never mind the thanks. Bring some money with you. Don't worry about that, Earl. This is worth anything to me. Bye. That seems to be his trouble, Earl. Well, he's probably swindled one guy too many. Good. What do you mean, good? I mean, he picked a good time for it. We can very well use the money, you know. Well, you can start drawing the bill now, Professor. And remember, after office hours, it's triple usual. <laughs> Here comes the elevator now, Earl. If we ever make enough dough, Professor, remind me to move out of this broken-down building. All buildings are pretty much alike at this hour of night. How do they expect one old guy to take care of this whole thing by himself? He manages if you don't rush him. Yeah. The devil has got his finger on it. It's you, Mr. Breton. You'll never be known as a patient man. I hate waiting for elevators, old-timer. Good evening, Mr. Bailey. Good evening. You've got lots to do around here, haven't you? Sure, sure. I've got to make the rounds, you know. How's business? Oh, very slow, Mr. Breton. You're the only two people I've seen all night. Hey, it's pitch black out here, isn't it? You want me to put the hall lights on? Don't bother, old-timer. We'll make it. It might help if you throw your flashlight beam down the hall. Oh, sure thing. Yeah. Yeah, how's this? That's fine. Here. I've got the key, Earl. Right. Ah, uh, thanks, old timer. We're okay now. Uh, let me see you the way Now, if I can just find the switch. Uh, oh, uh, here. What's the matter with the light? Looks like the switch don't work. Working all right when I left this evening. Where to find the desk lamp? Find it, Earl? Yeah, yeah. You didn't take the bulb out of this lamp, did you, Professor? Of course not. I've got an idea, Professor. But we have company. You're a very smart chap, Breton. Who's that? Just stay where you are, both of you, and don't ask any questions. Mr. Breton knows that those lights are not out by accident, but if either of you makes a false move, there could be one. What are you looking for? Information. Now, why keep us in the dark? There's enough light for me. 
from that street lamp shining in your window. I can see you both. What do you want to know? I understand, Breton, that you got some new dope on the Kennedy murder. Am I right? Kennedy murder? Why, the police gave Kennedy up as a suicide five years ago. What would I be... Stay where you are, Breton. I told you I can see. Yeah, yeah, sure. Seems kind of... Yeah, I guess our visit is a little touchy, Professor. You didn't believe that I could see you. Next time, I won't miss. Now, give it to me straight. I told you, I don't like the smell of a body that's been buried five years, and I ain't digging it up. Now, what else do you want? Mr. Breton, are you in there? Don't make a move. Mr. Breton, we Mr. Barry. Whatever happened, you... <laughs> okay, I hope you get a big kick out of beating up a helpless old guy. That was very tough. Very. That professor, I got What happened, Earl? Where are you? Right over here where that voice was coming from. He's not here. Maybe he moved over to another corner of the room. Not my eyes, something, Professor. I'm going to light a match. <laughs> Careful now, Earl. Well, I'll be. There's nobody here. Who? Who's that lying in the doorway? Wait a minute. Looks like the old timer. Here's his flashlight. I'll turn it on. <sighs> Put him in this chair, Earl. Ah, uh, that's no, too late, Professor. He's dead. Dead? That dirty rat killing a sweet, harmless old man. Hmm. Well, what's this here on the floor? Let me see. Hotel key. Ah, Hotel Market, room 517. Think that fell out of the old man's pocket? No, no, that's a mobster's hotel. It's full of gamblers and racket men. Then that means if we go to room 517, we ought to be able to find out the man who did this. You don't find anybody in that hotel. You smoke them out. Besides, that key might have been stolen just so somebody could plant it here. Don't you see that? Then how are we going to know? The voice, Professor. I'll never forget that voice. I'm promising the old man now that I'll find it. Well, what do we do, Oil? You go find Henderson and tell him we won't be able to see him tonight. I'm going to the hotel Markham. Meet me there as soon as you're through. In front of the hotel. And what about the old man? On our way out, we'll ring the night alarm. That'll bring the police. But aren't we going to tell them what happened? Right now, Professor, we don't know any more than they do. Come on, let's go. Anything I can do? Oh. Hello, Breton. How's the hotel business? Oh, we don't complain. Uh-huh. And uh, who's up in room 517? I want to know. I understand there's a game going on. So? So, I'd like to get in. Well, there's a gentleman by the name of Sparrow rent of the room. Maybe you know him. That's all I wanted to hear. You can tell him a good friend, Mr. Sparrow. I'm coming right up. Don't worry. I will. Oh. And by the way, I hear there's a shortage of keys. You still lose many of them? Certainly we do. Every day. That's brilliant. Very Well, look who's here, fellas. My old pal, Earl Breton. Hiya, Sparrow. Fine, fine. Come on in. How's the game? Pretty good. You want to take a hand? Yeah, maybe. How long you been playing? Oh, about 12 hours. Now, meet the boys. All right, fellas. This is Dan Huber. He's new in this town. Yeah? Didn't take you long to find this place, did it, Dan? Me? I got a nose for this stuff. <laughs> yes. And you know Harry Jackson, Earl, don't you? Sure, I know Harry. How are you, Harry? Hey. 
What did you say, Harry? I said I'm fine. That's what I said. Uh-huh, sure. Now, this is Willie Garvin, and over oh, here... was a funny name, Willie. What's funny about it? How do you spell it? G-A-R-V-I-N. Why? Does it sound familiar? Uh, no, uh, Willie, no. And I don't have to introduce you to my partner, Joe Murray, huh? Hello, Joe. Hello. It's funny to find you and Sparrow in the same game, Joe. What's funny about that? Well, after all, you and Sparrow are partners, aren't you? Now, what he said for you, Breton, and if you don't like what goes on here, you can shove off. Come Get on, it? Earl. When are you going to stop burning up Joe? <laughs> Anyhow, he just came in a few minutes ago. So we really just started playing together. Oh, just came in a few minutes ago. Where were you, Joe? Since when do I report to you? Well, I'm just curious, that's all. I told you before, Breton, I don't like coppers, and that still goes. Now, let's get the game going. Well, Earl, you taking a hand? Sure, sure, but uh, first I got to get the professor. He's got my dough. I'll be back in a few Wait minutes. a minute, Breton. What are you trying to pull? Why didn't you bring your dough in the first place? I just wanted to see who was in the game. Oh, sure, Joe. He's got a right to know. Go ahead, Earl. Get your dough. Oh, but uh, don't forget to come back, huh? Otherwise, it wouldn't look so good, huh? Sure, don't worry. I'll be back. Waiting, Professor. Uh, I just got here. Did you find out anything? No, not a thing. I listened to every voice up there. Not one of them was the right one. How about you? Did you see Henderson? Yeah, that is, I didn't see him, but I found out about him. What do you mean, found out about him? Well, when I got there, Earl, there were a lot of people outside the house, and the police were there. Police? What happened? Henderson was murdered. It was midnight when the phone rang in the home of Earl Breton, a private detective. A man named Henderson was calling. Henderson, a crooked politician who insisted he was in danger of being killed, and that he had to see Breton immediately. Earl agreed to meet him in his office. But when he and his partner, the professor, arrived a few minutes later, they were faced with a peculiar situation. The lights in the office wouldn't work. And before they could investigate, a voice challenged them from the darkness. Their unknown visitor fired at them, purposely missing, in order to warn them that he meant business. The sound of the gun attracted the attention of the night watchman. He came to investigate and was killed by the intruder, who disappeared, leaving Earl with the old man's body and a clue. The key to room 517 at the Hotel Markham. They rang the police alarm and Earl sent the professor to intercept Henderson to break the appointment they had with him. Then he went to the hotel the room 517, where he expected to find the killer. He interrupted a card game, but Sparrow, the gangster who was registered in 517, invited Earl to sit in, much to the displeasure of his partner, Joe Murray. Breton accepted, promising to return soon. He went down to the street where the professor was waiting. The professor had news for him. Anderson had been murdered. How did you find out he was murdered, Professor? I overheard two policemen talking to one another. Did the cops know you were there? Oh, no. We wouldn't want them to know we was interested, would we? Good for you, Professor. But now that I think of it, Earl, shouldn't we tell the police what we know? Well, that's a good idea, except that we don't know anything. They can't find out for themselves. But they don't know that Henderson called us to meet him at the office. 
And then when we got there, we met somebody else. And it was that somebody else who killed the night watchman. I know there's some connection between those two things, Professor. In fact, if I didn't know Henderson's voice so well... You'd say that it was the man at the office who imitated it? Sure, that's an old trick. A man disguises his voice to sound like... Hey, just a minute, Professor. Why couldn't it be... You mean... You actually think that the man we met in the office was the one who called us earlier and he imitated Henderson's voice? No, no, no. That'd be too obvious. The killer's much cleverer than that. But you do think he had something to do with both of the murders? Certainly. If he didn't, how would he know that we were coming down to the office at midnight? He was expecting us. So he must have been with Henderson at the time Henderson called us. If you don't mind my saying so, Earl, it doesn't make sense. Why should this man have bothered to come down to our office just to ask us about some murder case that was over and forgotten five years ago? That's just it, Professor. He didn't want that information at all. That was just to throw us off the track. That was why he left the key there when he slugged the old man and disappeared. You mean he actually wanted us to follow him here to the Hotel Markham? Don't you see? He was trying to establish the alibi that he was playing cards in this hotel at the time of the murder. And he could force us to testify as police witnesses that we saw him here. Then why don't we tell that to the police? Oh, Professor, you're slipping. You know the police don't want ideas. They've got their own. Besides, if we don't know whose voice we heard, what can we tell them? Well, at least we can tell them that it was somebody who's up in that hotel room now. Sure, sure. But can we prove it? Uh, I guess not. Well, then what can we do? we got to go upstairs and find out who that phony voice belongs to. But our life can be very short in a place like this. I mean, I'm not thinking about me. I know, Professor, I know. But I made a promise to that old watchman that I'd find the guy who killed him, and I like to keep a promise. But uh, we ain't got enough money to play cards with those people. They don't know that. Well, I don't think it should take them more than one hand to find out. All right, then you'll have to stall. So one of those guys up there has a phony British voice. So? Listen. Stay where you are, Breton. I told you, I can see. How's that? If I wasn't looking at you, I'd swear it was the guy in the room. Good, good. That's all I wanted to know. I knew you'd keep your promise to come back, Earl. Oh, why not? This is my night, Sparrow. Well, come on, take a chair. I think I'll let the professor play for me. I do much better when I'm looking over his shoulder. Suit yourself. Let's get going. You're holding up the game. How many chips, Professor? Well, uh, uh, that's up to Earl. Chips? Why, um, what do you say we start off with $10 worth, Professor? I got a hunch. I, um, I guess that's all right. Wait a minute. Who are you kidding, Breton? Since when do you figure you can get in on this game for 10 bucks? That's just a starter, Joe. I always like to play hunches. But you've got more than that, haven't you, Earl? <laughs> you know better than ask me that, Sparrow. Yeah? Let's see. Okay, deal him out. Joe, if I didn't know that you just came into this game a little while ago, I'd figure that you were losing plenty. Why? Ah, oh, you're so touchy. I open. Five bucks. Uh, raise your tent. I'm out. Well, playing it safe, Professor. I'd rather not explain my game. Maybe if Joe played it safer, he wouldn't be so worried all the time. Oh, Joe. Joe's got lots on his mind. I don't know, Sparrow. You're Joe's partner. You never seem to worry like he does. What do you mean, worry? Who says I'm worried? I'm just careful, that's all. I don't trust nobody, see? Nobody? 
You mean not even Sparrow, your own partner? I said nobody. Oh, Joe thinks maybe I talked too much. That's right. I didn't hear you say anything out of place, Sparrow. <laughs> he thinks I made a mistake telling you he, he just came into the game a little while ago. I told you to shut up, Sparrow. Oh, come on, Joe. You don't have to be afraid of Earl Bretton. He's a cop, and I told you don't have to know nothing. He wouldn't repeat anything he heard up here, would you, Earl? I always play it safe. <laughs> I think you're all right, Earl. Ah, uh, mind if I stand up? Where are you going? I just want to walk around a little bit, stretch my legs. Uh, just don't go looking at any hands. Okay. I'll stand over here by the wall. You're going to let the professor play by himself? Sure. Hey, this is a very interesting electric light switch. You guys don't cut the chatter or blow this game off. Hey, hey wait a minute. Put those lights out. Put the lights on. What are you getting so crazy about, Joe? You act as if you just murdered someone. Put up the lights. I said quick. I'm sorry, Joe. That was my mistake. I didn't know the light switched off this way. Shut up. And you, Sparrow? What was the idea saying I murdered someone? What are you talking about, Joe? I didn't say anything. Don't give me that stuff. I heard you. You can't fool me with that phony voice you put on. I told you. I didn't say anything. Oh, yeah? Well, I happen to know that nobody else but you talks that way. Why don't you dope? Did you know that wasn't my voice? Sparrow, if you're trying to pull anything... Okay, okay, Joe. Sparrow's right. Now, don't get sore. It was my fault. I didn't know. That ain't the point, Breton. I don't know what he's trying to pull. It ain't none of your business, copper. I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry. It was my voice you heard, Joe. What? Are you? All right, what's the game, Brett? No game, Joe. Just a joke, that's all. Sure, Joe, just a joke. Very funny, too. Can't you take a joke, Joe? Uh, nuts. All right, Breton. You want to stay in this game, get up some real dough or beat it? Okay, okay, I'll come clean with you. That's all the dough we got with us right now. You let me go in the next room and make a call, I'll get some sent up here right away. Why, sure, sure. You want to use the phone, huh? Yes, it's right in the next room. Thanks, Earl. This is the desk. Hello. Let me spring 73100. Spring 73100? Right. Oh, you're kidding. That's police headquarters. Say, if you got any complaints to make... Hold on, hey, hey, wait a minute. What goes on here? It's one of your keys. Oh, hello, Sparrow. I, uh... I can't say much for your phone service. No? What's the matter with it? They, um... They wouldn't get a number for me. I see. Who you're calling is so important. Police. I, I... I guess I can wait. Yeah. I'm glad you came in here, Breton. I uh, wanted to have a little talk with you alone. You wouldn't use that revolver right here in this room, would you? Wouldn't I? You know, I can do pretty much as I want to in this hotel. You know that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. But if you killed me now, wouldn't you have to tell Joe why you did it? Well, what do you mean? I mean, wouldn't you have to tell him that you were tired of being partners with him and Henderson? That you wanted the whole racket for yourself? So that you killed Henderson, trying to make it look as though Joe did it so he could take the rap? Uh, if you're trying to talk loud so Joe will hear you, I might as well tell you he just left. Uh, well, at least I found out it was you who slugged the night watchman in my building tonight. So what? Just that you killed him, that's all. You shouldn't have gotten away. Then you're admitting that you killed Henderson and the watchman? Only to you, Breton. I'll tell you why. Because I'm going to make sure that you'll never be able to tell it to the cops. See? I don't have to tell him, Sparrow. 
They know about it already? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> you gave them all this information before you came up here. No, I didn't tell them. You did. You know something, Breton? I'm beginning to think you're a little bit nuts. I suppose you wouldn't believe me if I told you the police are listening to you right now? They heard you admit all this to me? Oh, now, wait a minute. Don't tell me you hid them in my closet. No, no. They're right outside in that room where we were just playing cards. You're crazy. Why don't you take a look? Because I ain't dumb enough to turn my back on you. And that makes it easy for them to come in. Drop the gun, Sparrow. Give it here. What? It is the cops. What? We heard the whole thing outside, Benton. Pretty smart. How did you get the cops up here? I didn't get them, Sparrow. You did. Cut it out, Breton. It's true. You know the best way to bring the police is to leave a hotel key next to a dead man, and that's what you did. Yeah, but you picked it up. Not me. I just made a mental note of it, that's all. What puzzles me, Earl, is how you know the police were out here when you made Sparrow talk. Ah, that was easy. Well, I tried to put through a call before. I heard a voice at the switchboard asking about a key. And I just played a hunch. I'm glad we got here in time. Come along, Sparrow. Well, Professor, let's go home. Yes, sir. Oh, and look, if our phone rings again tonight, don't answer it. From shadows and stillness, Mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubts and fears. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour. Mates, I hope you enjoyed both these killer Dilla stories. From conspiracy murders, baits and switches, the theme, as you might have guessed, was misdirection. The old bait and switch. Now, both these tales were curly, hard to track, but had rewarding endings. I particularly like the insta-switch of the voice in the dark to fool the criminal into thinking another person was talking. Super sharp, super witty, and on point had my brain darting left and right constantly. Good mental gymnastics in these two today. If you enjoyed the show, there's more on the way next Monday. But for some more creepy peepy stories, this Wednesday is gonna be where it's at. Have a lovely night, mates. And as always, till next, we meet.